Hey guys, hope you can hear me okay. I am recording this in the parking lot outside my office because I forgot to do it uh, when I was editing the rest of the podcast, but that's okay. I was just so excited to share with you my conversation with Molly Bridget Dean, vocal comedian, visual artist, and all around exciting person. Um, this is the first time I actually ever spoke or met with Molly. Uh, I just happened to kind of stumble across her online. I thought she was really interesting and uh, she agreed to meet me for coffee at Echo up in Scottsdale. We had a really nice chat and uh, I'm really looking forward to share it with you. So I'll cut it off now because my co-workers are making me feel a little uncomfortable over here. So I hope you enjoy Molly Bridgetine. Phoenix. I'm Tony Machete. We got Molly Bridget Dean with me. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing good. How are you, Tony? I'm fantastic. Thank you very much. Um, I really like this place, by the way. I've never heard of Beko before, but I like the vibe here and everything. Yeah. Yeah. I just moved here like six months ago, and I was just looking for a coffee place, a place to sit that wasn't yeah. like super crowded. Sure. Actually, we went here when. I was moving like the day of. And it oh, was really? cool. it's like the first place you went? Yeah, some guy working here was like giving me van recommendations for this cool van called No Trend. And so I looked it up and I was like, holy shit, this is awesome. I came back. This place is cool. <laughs> so, what, where were you at before this? You know, my password. West Mesa. West Mesa? Oh, yeah. But you were mostly a valley kid like yeah, growing up? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Grew up in Mesa. I like it. Everything you want. You can get there for below 30 bucks. <laughs> that should be on a sign somewhere. It, it like should. It. I just bought a tire for $35. That's amazing. I know, and it's <laughs> a really nice tire. <laughs> <laughs> so, when did you start drawing? When I was two years old. Great, okay. Yeah. <laughs> when I first was able to hold a crayon, pretty much. Left handed, just like my dad. He's also been painting since he was two. Was it always uh, just like about like a lot of colors and stuff like that? Were you trying to draw, draw shapes, at, uh, you know, when you were starting to draw? I mean, obviously not at two years old, but like, you know what I mean? Yeah, talking animals. Talking animals. Like always been my thing. Okay. Talking animals and plants and sometimes talking plants. But they had to talk. That was the rule. Well, they just do talk, you know? Like everything, every living thing like communicates somehow. So it was like... <laughs> Were you anthropomorphizing stuff, or were you just trying the figures and giving them a voice? When I was a kid, they were definitely anthropomorphized, but now they're very much not. They're just animals doing animal things. Why, why do you feel like you, you're connected with that? Grew up watching a lot of Looney Tunes and Tiny Tunes and had a lot of dogs, cats. I just always liked animals better than people. See, that's that's a good thing to take away from cartoons like that. I, I'm glad that it went that way instead of like you watching like, oh, I should throw TNT at coyotes. <laughs> That'd be a lot rougher direction yeah. to go. But 
Yeah, there was a lot of... Honestly, I felt like that Roadrunner kind of deserved the TNT. Like, he was such a dick. Yeah, at the end of it, he's so self-centered. Yeah. All he cared about was eating whatever was in front of him. blew off everything around him. Yeah. It's a whole other podcast. I don't know. But, okay, so you you started off drawing as soon as you could. And it sounds like, yeah, you said just like your dad, did you have artists in your family? Yeah. So, yeah, my dad, uh, my grandma, my aunt, my cousins... A lot of artists. Okay. All the same mediums? Or? Kind of. I mean, my my dad, my grandma, and my aunt paint, and my cousin paints, but she also does landscape architecture. No, you're good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, so kind of just designing within people's yards within that kind of scope. That's so cool. Have you ever tried to lean into something like that? I try to keep my plants alive. <laughs> <laughs> it's all we can ask of you. And right I'm now. not even <laughs> successful at that. I have killed succulents from leaving them out in the sun too long, but I think I'm I'm just learning. And my grandma on my dad's side, she was a huge gardener, so I guess she's an artist too. She lived in Florida and just planted a lot, like these elaborate gardens. She owned like a florist shop. Yeah. I wish I wish I had that thumb. I don't know. I just forget. So were you raised with this kind of connection to like life around you and stuff then as well? Was that something that was like actively put into you or do you feel like you kind of just were aware of it yourself? It's kind of funny because so my dad's from the south and everyone in the south just like walks around barefoot and they go out into the woods and they go fishing and that's kind of the thing and then my mom grew up in northern california kind of like near the city and she's like very kind of afraid of nature she's always paranoid of coyotes when we're going hiking snakes and stuff and then my dad is always just like let's go off the trail like has we have no idea where we are and he gets us three hours lost and so one side is extremely trustful the other side is like extremely paranoid, and so it's, uh, they kind of I'm just came to, to a head. Both. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like always afraid, and yet I'm like willing to do feeding it. javelinas. No, I don't feed javelinas. I don't do that. <laughs> but <laughs> love it. Okay, so were you always uh, of the mind that like you wanted to draw specifically? realistic things. I know that's not always what you do, but I know that you do a lot of um, biological drawing and stuff like that. Was that something that you kind of discovered later on, or were you feeling like you were just always a part of that? Definitely well, a combination of the two. I mean, like, I always wanted to be, like, an animator and an illustrator, but I also always wanted to draw animals and be in, like, science. And so, like, uh, bio-illustration has always been on my mind. And in college, they didn't have, like, an illustration program at ASU. And all the people there are fine art-minded. And um, they really frown upon kind of cartoon-looking art. I mean, not so much, like, in the printmaking, but I focused in drawing. And there, they wanted you to draw what you see, which I appreciate because it really forced talent out of me and I'm able to draw the way I wasn't before and I think that influence and them kind of frowning upon illustration and that dream of being an animator and a cartoonist kind of got me more interested in biological artwork because I felt kind of shamed into it (laughs) but now I feel like I'm in this weird limbo of the two 
of like extreme realism and extreme cartoony stuff. Do you feel like that's just kind of confining when you have to draw what's just what's right in front of you? Are you are you bored by that? I guess or are you frustrated by it, like not being able to explore behind like like the lines of reality? Um, in the beginning, I was, but as with you know everything in life, the more you focus on one thing and the more commitment you have towards one thing, the more you grow to appreciate it. And now it's like like a. I can look at a rock and be fascinated by it, and my friends have to eat mushrooms in order to do that. It's like, just take a drawing class. It's the same as mushrooms. It is, though. Like, you spend so much time just looking at one thing, and I don't know, it's, like, really mindful in a way. That is an interesting thing to think about, just the idea that the figure that you're drawing, whatever the model might be, has to kind of become your entire world I guess yeah. that like every part of it you have to kind of disassemble like every cell of the thing that you're looking at to kind of recreate it how do you feel like you take that into other areas of your life do you feel like that's something you look at anymore yeah definitely I mean it's made me think about people you know like it taught me to like not trust novelty in a sense I mean I also get stuck but I guess what I'm trying to say is, like, instead of getting bored by people, I, I just realize, like, there's more to every person you meet, even when there's not. Even when there's a lack of substance, that's still something. Is it kind of just being able to embrace the lack of substance as substance itself, I guess? Like, yeah. you are boring, but you are uniquely boring yeah. in a very special way. Honestly, I think people that are, like, really truly boring are like the most fascinating people ever <laughs> but like in a way that I don't want to find out like are you, are you able to give me an example I don't know if like my friend's ex-boyfriend is like supremely boring and if she ever hears this she'll know I'm talking about her and her boyfriend because like when they broke up he's just like okay like no expression at all and we're just like what who is he murdered like <laughs> where's the child pornography like where is why is he so empty like someone who has that little vibrance in their life has to have the most extreme like darkness within them <laughs> yeah and it's just like but to be fair I found out the hard way that that's kind of like the truth to a lot of people I've gotten too close to people that I couldn't figure out and then I was like oh this was a mistake I don't want to learn these things about you is that what we're going to jump around a little bit in time too. is that what draws you to comedy too that, that kind of idea of analysis and then you, you kind of let yourself get close to things you want to explore more yeah absolutely yeah like a I feel like com like a joke is a uh, turning an epiphany into an art form. Like you realize something about your life that is so shocking that it's like really painful and really hilarious at the same time. I feel like with what you're saying, that the idea that it's an epiphany turned into an art form, there's probably a thousand comics out there who like wish they had thought of that line, that articulation, because I think that that's what a lot of comedians and stuff, at least that I've spoken with, have tried to articulate, is taking those aha moments in real life and, and making it into something that everyone can appreciate. Yeah. Yeah, because, yeah, you know, the joke is about how you've all been there, you know, and... 
you know, like comics that tell jokes where they aren't the butt of it, no one likes them because they're cocky assholes. <laughs> and then comics that are only self-deprecating all the time with no silver lining, no one likes that because they're just a total bummer. So when you have a joke where it's like you failed, but you still are somehow the hero, it's like people really like that and that's kind of where the aha moment comes in place because it's like I you know got dumped and woke up at a bus stop I don't know how I got there but I realized that you know I people shouldn't date me if I'm waking up at bus stops <laughs> that's I want to come back to this but I do want to jump back to something I'm curious about just since we're talking about it a little bit um, so I saw that you have done some figure drawing modeling yourself yeah. is that right so how has that influenced you I guess being on the other side of that do you think that kind of lends itself to being the butt of the joke too or being a life drawing model yeah kind of in a sense because you know like people are looking at every wrinkle on your body and adding that there's this one girl I well it's right to say but like I used to be like really thin and then I like gained 15 pounds and this girl drew me pregnant in every single drawing and it was like trying not to take offense to it but she just like she draws everyone like pregnant basically just like super bloated and super like in that sense it was like all I could do was laugh in that moment because it's like how do I like this is not a flattering drawing and it's not really a good drawing and she's not trying to make everyone pregnant but aside from that I usually just feel like I don't know it's like very regal like you just feel like I don't know a French king and people are painting you and I, I, I bring it up because I just feel like being a, a figure drawing model is kind of like the setup of the visual art world where like if you yeah. are the figure that's being drawn you're like you're giving them all the information from the setup and, and yeah. then they are crafting their own punchline each of them and so you're kind of becoming their punchline for their own interpretation of it yeah no that's true yeah I mean like you're still you're on stage and you're still the most vulnerable person in the room and you're giving them all of your flaws and they're just taking it in whether it's in laughter or in drawing and from what I've spoken to uh, with like visual artists and stuff it's it's kind of more interesting to draw someone who doesn't I guess isn't aware of themselves so much as a as a model because it's maybe kind of like you said with like a confidence thing it's like you want to be able to draw something that you can see every facet of and you can kind of appreciate the facets of that you see in itself yeah maybe that's giving the person who was drawing you pregnant too much credit yeah. um, saying that that's what she was kind of seeing in herself maybe she was just a bitch yeah. but um, I don't I know I think she was just a bitch honestly <laughs> No, okay, I'm well then fuck her. I'm mark. just kidding. <laughs> um, it was me, that's why I asked. Uh, okay, so uh, you, you, okay, you got into the comedy world. You said it's it's kind of tough to find the the median between being too self-deprecating and being too confident. I mean, how how was that exploration for you when you first started? Like, it's just it's kind of my playground. You know, it's like from one extreme unhealthy. <laughs> way to live life to the other and it's like I'm really good at both of these <laughs> like let's go for a ride I feel like the more that I've done it 
and the more criticism like constructive criticism I get just from people laughing or not laughing is what helps me figure out what a happy medium is like I've learned when I have been too self-deprecating I've heard it from my friends and it's also like people don't laugh they just go uh and it's like you don't want that and then not so much on stage but I've definitely been an asshole in real life (laughs) where I keep poking jokes and people laugh so I go further and further and further and then I'm like oh wow everyone's suddenly crying and that wasn't my intention (laughs) so do you you feel like you skew more self-deprecating on stage than more so in real life I think it's about the same (laughs) I think I'm just very self-deprecating in general Uh, because there has been I feel like a a trend I guess kind of in in kind of popular comedy about getting away from uh, I guess kind of topics like that where you're beating yourself up too much uh, that it seems to be kind of a, a thing of like embrace your self-love type of stuff and that's kind of taken into effect. I mean, do you have an opinion on that? Do you feel like that's something that can affect your comedy or something that's affecting comedy in any way? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I just have a strong opinion on that in general. Like, I think it's really shitty, all these, like, dating articles and, you know, just shitty asshole people that have never been bullied or, like abused or anything when they just say just love yourself insecurity is unattractive and it's like for someone who's never known what love is like or self-love not necessarily that they were abused but maybe their parents didn't like themselves either taught their kid that inadvertently it's like you can't tell someone how to do something that they have no idea how to do and so like I definitely believe in, like, compassion for yourself, and I try to apply that in my jokes in a way to be a hero. Like, yeah, the shitty thing happened to me, and yeah, I did this shitty thing, but at the end of the day, like, I learned something from it, and that's kind of where the joke should come from, is, like... Acknowledging that that's not, like, a good thing, basically, is how you get back. Exactly. Acknowledging that it's not a good thing. Acknowledging that, like, you know better now. And that you, like, forgive yourself for doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, I think that's a thing that's important in life, too, is, like... I feel like comedy has really taught me that, really. Does that come from doing it yourself or uh, looking at other people? Probably both, yeah. Despite the fact that comedians are batshit insane. Like, everyone talks about... Like, I remember some beatnik artist, some quote where he was like, the artists are, like, snobby, but you can't trust the poets. Which one do you pick? And I'm like, I feel like comedians are just far worse than all of them. They're just, like, bottom of the barrel. Like, the most ingenious people, but the most, like... (laughs) just awful morally flawed humans on the planet and so there's a lot of drama that goes with that but I also feel like there's a lot of community and when you do find friends like you really grow from it because these people have seen like everything happen and they like accept you for everything you are and like being accepted like at my lowest points has really taught me how to like 
forgive myself for a lot of shitty things I've done. Do you feel like it is a pretty tightly knit community in things? Yes, and I think it's too tightly knit. Like, <laughs> I think people need to get a life. <laughs> get off of Facebook and go f- go for a walk, dude. Does this come from, <laughs> does everybody start to take things a little too personally? Is that the idea of it, you think? Or what does yes. 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 No hesitation. Yeah. Firm, clear, yes. Okay. Complete. Everything is so personal, so touchy, which is a shame because if they weren't so fucking touchy, their comedy would be so much better. <laughs> <laughs> where, where does that come from then? Is it because everyone considers themselves friends or just you guys see each other too much? What? No, it comes from like we're all really insecure and we were all, you know, that really awkward table in junior high (laughs) like yeah like the true misfits not like the sexy misfits on tv but the ones where (laughs) like one of the kids at your table tries to have sex with a hole in the table like those people grow up and become comedians (laughs) <laughs> there's probably a lot of like studded objects and material at the table yeah and stuff like that and a lot of stunted emotional growth <laughs> like people just don't leave that phase do you think that would be true anywhere or do you think there's something unique about this scene that kind of draws those people out there's something very unique about this scene I think like when I first started doing comedy my friend introduced it to me and one thing I love about him was how much he like appreciated my sense of humor when everyone else would just be like can you stop like making jokes like you're so immature and he would just laugh at that and like it was just so strange to me that I entered this field where suddenly instead of being treasured for your talent or for your attractiveness or your competence in logistics and science and stuff all you have to do is be yourself that's literally all being funny is is being yourself it it was just the most transformative thing probably for me I think most comedians I know like that are really trying and somewhat successful and didn't give up like it's been the most transformative thing like I know a lot of musicians that spent, like, you know, their entire 20s and even their 30s, like, on tour and doing music and doing all that stuff. And it's definitely healing and amazing, but it it was nothing like when they started doing stand-up. So before you got on stage, before your friend introduced this to you as something that you should maybe do, did you already consider your sense of humor as kind of your defining feature or your saving grace because it sounds like this like what you're saying you're coming from a place where like, you weren't necessarily confident in those other aspects of yourself did you already say, think of yourself as like well at least I'm funny but... yes but like not in a mature way it was more of like well I'm fucking hilarious <laughs> and none of you assholes see it and that's your fault <laughs> and so <laughs> I lost a lot of friends but mentally spiritually it was my saving grace for me (laughs) so was it an easy jump for you to make then when when they presented it to you of like hey you should get up on stage would it seem natural for you to do um it took my friend like a year to get me to go on stage and then when I finally did it it wasn't even a stand-up show and then I did it again like 
like three months later. Was it like an open mic or a stand-up? Oh, no, it's be a talent show? or. Something? Yeah, it was like a poetry. It was like at Lawn Gnome back when that was existing. I don't even know what's there anymore, just tumbleweeds. <laughs> yeah, it was just like a poetry thing. And then I did an official show at Monkey Pants, and that was intoxicating. Yeah. Like... Do you think you needed it to not be an actual comedy show to get up on stage the first time? Yeah, because it's... you People don't have expectations. So you go up there and they're expecting poetry and you're funny instead. And so it's an easy laugh. Got it. And they're all, like, heartfelt, so they're, like, ready to laugh at everything. Because they're, like, high on acid. Because it was <laughs> Roosevelt Street. Yeah. Yeah. Back when it was was really Roosevelt-y. Yeah. And so, all right, so what made you decide to do Monkey Pants the first time? Was that through him as well, or did you find that on your own? Or? Yeah, his friend that I was friends with, he was like, come on, let me put you on. So he put me on. Wow. Okay. Yeah. How, how much time did you do that first time? Oh, God, I don't remember. Ten minutes, maybe? Five minutes? Wow. Somewhere okay. between the two. Now, do you feel like you have changed a lot in and what you do I mean even just like the content and stuff since then yeah honestly like I had went through five years of college before then um I'd moved out before then I was doing art and selling art and you know you could say that I had already found myself but until I started doing comedy like I didn't and then since I've been doing comedy I think my material has changed Somewhat, but not too much. It's always been like this kind of uh, voyeuristic viewing of my own life. <laughs> like, just associative and just watching me doing, like, self-destructive things from afar through anxiety. <laughs> and that's been the running theme, I think, for the, the whole time. So, we talked a little bit about how visual arts influence your comedy. Do you feel like there's been a reverse as well? Yeah. I definitely think that it's made me much more comfortable with um, what I want to portray. Like, I grew up in a very Catholic household and very, uh, not like the fun kind of Catholic, where everyone's like drunk and like banging each other. I've met that kind of Catholic. I think, I don't know, I think they're just, like, on TV or something. I don't know. Or they're just Italian. I think they're Italian. That's what it is. But, like, yeah, very pious, and so my artwork was very pious, and my teachers always were like, we see the talent, but we don't we don't see what you're trying to say. And I feel like after comedy, it was a lot easier to express what I wanted to say. Now, do you ever go back to, like, those religious themes and stuff with, oh, with your yeah. work now? Yeah, definitely. I feel like that's a large part of it is, like, the aspect of, like, the mother. Like, there's a lot of mothers and lost children, and it kind of ties back to, like, the Virgin Mary and then, like, the lost lamb and abandoned children. And I saw that you had a series as well, at least a couple of um, pictures I remember from like a series of Archangels. You had like Uriel. Oh, and, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not done yet. I just ran out of money and paper. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I don't know. I, I got into like Rumi a lot and I had a roommate who was Muslim and his friends were Muslim and yeah. like did a little research and 
you know, I really liked their interpretation of angels being composed of light. And I was like, all color is is light. And so, like, what if I had this idea that, you know, art is just angels trying to communicate with us? Which is, like, totally schizophrenic. But it's also, like, I mean, what if, you know? So, like, that's what I'm trying to do with the ink washes. What makes you decide what kind of uh, tools, I guess, to use on a thing? Like, I know you do some lithography and printmaking and stuff, obviously. Like, what makes you decide to do that as opposed to just, like, ink and water on paper? So, the thing I love about lithography is that it's a very, very soft surface to draw on. And you can, um, you draw with wax. And the wax is very soft, so it's very easy to get the finest point with a razor blade. And so you can get very, very uh, minute detail. It's a lot like graphite, but better. And uh, for very detailed drawings that I want to do, I really like using lithography for that. And like, uh, like I had a few series about like animals as messengers, kind of like a. Not necessarily like spirit guides, but more of like uh, archetypes. I wanted this like idea of like very detailed drawings of the animals, but then like for the colors and for the background of them, it would be like very kind of obscured and uh, yeah, just like obscured, I guess. And lithography was my go-to because you could get like perfect color blends and then print a very detailed image on top of the color blend. And with drawing, it's just not, it's not as good. Like, you could do watercolor first and then draw on top of it, but your drawing is now on top of a laid set of watercolor, and um, the, it, the surface is different. It's not as smooth, and you can't draw as finely. And I know that I'm sure, like, some snooty art professor would be like, well, if you just try with blah, 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 and practice a little bit more. And I say, fuck you. Printmaking is easier and better. And lithography, you still get to draw on a smooth surface. I'm, just, I'm like, starting to ramble. No, no, I'm just really into lithography. I really like it. No, no, and that's why I asked. So it's, it sounds like it's a lot of pre-planning and stuff for you of like, what do I want the end result to be? What are the best tools to get there? Yeah. And so it's kind of just exploring that until you're pretty comfortable with all those different options. Yeah, and plus, like, uh, final ink and oil-based inks, is they're so lovely. And, like, when you can get, like, a really solid... Uh, color blend and really solid vibrant colors without any strokes and um it's just like this velvety texture it's just it's not like anything you could do outside of printmaking what about like your color color palette of choice because it seems like with a lot of the stuff that i saw it's either essentially just like dark ink or it's like oranges greens and purples kind of like that kind of secondary palette so what is why do you feel like you stray towards that well, my answer that doesn't answer your question is those are my favorite colors. <laughs> I Okay, so I guess what it is is that my happiest moments or when I'm in the most at ease, like when I'm awake and when I'm dreaming, 
I see, you know, it's like wintertime in the Sonoran Desert when it's raining. It's like kind of a cool, light, periwinkle sky. And the ground is enriched with iron and suddenly it's like glowing orange like this rustic orange and the plants just become alive and it's what I grew up with and I feel like it's like a very calming thing for me like I really want to move out of state at some point but a part of me is like afraid of leaving the desert because I feel like it's like what really calms me down and so I think I apply that to my artwork, like those colors and that atmosphere. And also, like, the beach kind of has that similar, like, foggy silver, like, purple-ish silver kind of calm colors, yeah. That's awesome. So the last questions I want to ask, I like ask everybody. First off, um, anybody else in town you want to give some recognition to? Any disciplined comics artists? Yeah. Oh, God, there's so many. Um, well, my friend James Mabry just started you know, showing his YouTube channel, which is James Mabry, and he's really weird and cool. I think he's a Libra. See if you're compatible. He's great. Oh, God. Uh, Anthony Decimito. He moved to L.A. now. He's really promoting himself. Um, Trajan Dunkley. She's great. Jason Hill. He's amazing. Oh, God. For visual artists, I'd, like, really have to think about that. I know Hattie Hayes, Allie Lightfoot, Genevieve Rice. She doesn't even need a shout-out. Like, she's doing so good. She's awesome. Mo Urban. Check out Tucson Comics. Like, they're really funny. They're good people. Mo Urban. Stina Salito. Yeah. Uh, any personal projects you want to throw out there or plugs? I don't want to give away too many personal projects just yet because then I'll lose motivation. <laughs> but they do involve um, vampires and like 80s horror movies. So be ready for that. And I know you were uh, saying before we uh, started recording that you were like setting up stuff to sell your artwork and stuff. Where can people find that? Um, you can find my artwork on Instagram at georgieboy14 I have a website called um, a sparkling grim at wordpress.com dot wordpress.com that one I need to update a little bit but those are places where you can find my artwork yeah there's one on there that I, I really really like to talk to you about is the Columbo one I oh, really have really? a soft spot for Columbo yeah oh, that's awesome <laughs> that, that was really cool is that just something that like what was your inspiration behind that, I guess? Well, I'm really into archetypes, and I feel like Peter Falk, like, is an archetype at this yeah. point. Like, you know, the dry, he's funny, but he's kind of stern and jaded, like, detective, you've seen the darkest of dark, and he's still your friend. I love it. Yeah, just kind of like a, we should all tap into our Columbo. <laughs> And yeah, there's still some of your animal stuff, artwork and stuff on there too. Like I loved the condor and the vulture and stuff were some of my favorites on there too. But um, you can check that out for yourself if you're listening at home. Uh, and last thing I'd like to ask, uh, just a piece of advice you would want to give someone who's going down your line. Uh, my line, like art or comedy? Um, just yeah, things that you've experienced. Like just one piece of advice. Oh. Um, Whatever you want to take from that, yeah. 
remember everything. Don't escape. Don't escape. Don't waste your time escaping in a fantasy. Spend it experiencing the moment and the pain and the loneliness because you can turn that into something and you can learn from it. And also, if you're going through a dry spell of creativity, just keep sketching, keep writing, even if it's just little things, because you will look back at it and it will be really useful. Love it. All right. Keep, keep creating. Remember everything and don't escape the moment. Seize it, whatever it might be. I love it. All right. Molly Bridgetine, thanks so much. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Special thanks to Nick Machete for writing our theme music and Taylor Machete for all of her support. If you are enjoying the podcast so far, don't forget to follow us and leave nice ratings on Facebook, Twitter, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Pinecast.co. And if you or someone you know is pursuing something artistic in the Phoenix area and you'd like to be on the podcast, write to me at starvingartistsphx at gmail.com.